Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. For tonight's event, we have author of his first book, Juan F. Thompson, here to answer questions about his life as well as his relationship that he had with his father, Hunter S. Thompson, the pioneer of gonzo journalism as well as the author of many acclaimed favorites like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail, and The Rum Diary. It is my honor to introduce Mr. Thompson tonight, so without further ado, we'll begin with a reading from his book, Stories I Tell Myself. Please help me in welcoming Juan F. Thompson. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Uh, this is a big deal. I've worked on this for a long time, and it's, it's really something to be here. Uh, it's one thing to hear that the book's been released and see reviews, but it's another to actually be sitting here with a book and people coming here to, to hear this. So thank you. I'm just going to read a few pages. This is from uh, just as I was going off to college for my first year. And... <clears throat> uh, I spent the end of that summer before flying off. I spent about a week with uh, Hunter at Owl Farm. And uh, so that's where I'll pick up here. Uh, if some of you have... Uh, ...have read the book, you'll notice that I'm going to uh, skip a few paragraphs just in the interest of, uh, of time here. Uh, and I was going off to uh, Tufts University. Uh, I still can't quite figure out why I did that, but <laughs> <laughs> learning experience. As I was getting off the plane, getting on the plane in Aspen to fly to Boston, Hunter gave me a letter. He told me to read it once I was in flight. September 1st, 1982. Dear Juan, okay, you're off. And things seem generally under control on your end anyway. I'm still juggling madness on this end, and I've never even heard a rumor that the end might be in sight. It's queer life for sure, but at least it keeps me in shape, more or less. Here are three valid $50 checks, which should keep you solvent at least long enough to get to settle in and get a fix on things. Use them to open your own bank account in Boston. Also, call me tonight to confirm your safe arrival. Don't forget to do this tonight. The sheepskin jacket is a present from Layla. Boston is cold in the winter. I'll call Dick and Doris Goodwin and Mike Barnacle at the Globe to say they'll be stopping by sometime soon to say hello, etc. And so much for advice and logistics. I'm not worried about you, but I am interested. 
and I'll want to know what's happening. Send me your phone number and PO address. Let's talk on the phone as often as you feel like it, especially for the first few weeks, which will almost certainly be nervous. Or maybe not. But if they are, don't worry. The Glum Reaper will be hanging around, but to hell with them. We have dealt with the bugger before, and we know the one thing he can't handle is a bedrock sense of humor. So remember, the 44 naked in the loan books. All you have to do is write the first two. I'll handle it after that. And we will both get obscenely rich. Take my word for it. Why fool around with tangents like all the others? Your future is already assured. All you need is a typewriter and a few reams of paper. I'm glad you came home for a while. And I wish it could have been longer. I had a good time, and as always, was proud of you. Very few seekers go out into the world as well-armed as you. I'll keep after Paul Rubin for the $1,000 he owes you for that technical work. He says he has a fat job for you next summer, but so do I. And mine is a lot fatter. 44 books, rich and famous by 21. No problem. Anyway, I'll figure on seeing you for Christmas, if not before that. We had a wonderful time with Davison and his family last year, and hopefully we can do it again, either here or in Florida, depending on my Silk Road schedule. So let's keep this in mind and plan for it. We still have a ways to go before we can act like good friends and yell at each other without worrying about what it all means. But we're doing pretty well considering the small amount of time we've really put into it. You're a good person, and I love you for that as much as because you're my son. Or because you're about to be rich and pay my expenses forever. (laughs) With my wisdom and your talent, our bets are covered from the start. By 1984, we'll be making $44,000 a month, and even Jimmy Buffett will be standing in line to get your autograph. (laughs) Let's stop looking at this college gig as a foolish expense and start seeing it as an avenue to big money, a fine investment, with huge returns in the offing. Right? Yes. Let's do it. Love. H. Sometimes, apparently ordinary events or objects encapsulate vast realities. This letter is one. What is perhaps most remarkable is that I had completely forgotten about this letter until I rediscovered it during my research for this book. It is the letter I have been waiting for my whole life, a promise of an engaged father who gives advice, gives encouragement, promises adventure, affirms the good times, and talks of getting together soon. All of a sudden, I had a father again. How could I have forgotten this letter? However, we moved too fast toward a kind of intimacy that we both wished for, but which did not yet exist. I took him at his word, plunged in, and sent him a letter expressing my loneliness, sadness, homesickness, and depression. (laughs) Mealtime at the dormitory was the worst. All those people, all that talk, all those connections around me in which I had no part. It was unbearable to 
to eat alone with no distraction. I would eat as fast as possible, and still the meal seemed to take hours. I solved this problem by getting a subscription to the Boston Globe and reading the paper during meals, just as I had read Tolkien at Concord Academy a few years earlier. It was in this state of mind that I wrote this letter to Hunter, full of disdain for the people around me, a disdain and arrogance born out of loneliness and fear. September 4th, 1982. Hunter. Yes. Naked and alone in Boston. How baffling this is. I'm not like the others. The glum reaper is devious this time. He hides outside the window, the tip of his scythe barely visible. Thankfully, he doesn't show his miserable, despairing form, but I know he's there. Other times, he's not so subtle. He and I walked side by side, completely alone, so close I could smell the tears, the utter hopelessness of this endeavor. He shows me memories, vivid nostalgia, better times. It's deadly and very painful. And then he retreats. I am reprieved. He never lets me forget he's there, though. Devious, insidious. I feel the best I've felt since I've been here. As I write this, the light glints off the blade of that scythe, moves a bit further out. It's true, I'm not like the others. I'm quiet, weird, solitary. What can I say? I'm sure there are, among Tufts 5,000 students, at least 100 people with whom I can make friends, but they're as invisible as I. The social codes are different, distinctly preppy, fraternity, sorority, hip, flip, fast and cute, nauseating and artificial. I have no doubt that the majority of these people are interesting, likable, intelligent people. Unfortunately, they've been taught not to show it. The problem lies in socializing. When these people socialize, they don a common mask. They talk a certain way, act a certain way certain things, all of which have been defined as a socially acceptable. By acting such a way, one makes friends. With time, friends drop their ma- or don their masks less and less, and a troop deep friendship results. But the mask is so cheap and repulsive, <coughs> I don't want to use it. So I take the alternative, which is not necessarily best, and retreat, become quiet and unsociable waiting to meet someone like me. The price of principles. The price of a progressive Aspen Western education. The community school. I do it a thousand times over. Tried calling you tonight. No answer. Play? You're right about that sense of humor. The ultimate weapon. Unfortunately, humor seems so far away when I most need it. I've made a sign naked and alone, which I'm putting on the wall. Perhaps Tufts isn't the place for me. Perhaps the East isn't the place for me. Nevertheless, I'll definitely plan to stay a year here to make a fair judgment. No conquered fiasco. I'm more sensible than that. Yeah, it's easy to say that behind his back. (laughs) But when he's beside me, it's hard. A year here may be long enough, or just the beginning. (laughs) 
Remind me. Keep me honest. My objectivity can be easily lost here. Enough. I love you, Dad. Juan. When I found this letter to Hunter in the archive, I also found his notes that he had scrawled on the letter. Yeah, they're all gay like me. Why won't they admit it? Jesus, what has she wrought? No college will cure this problem. Only postpone it for $1,500 a month. That would pay the mortgage on Owl Farm. I've already paid $5,000, another $1,000 due on October 1st. Can Sandy take me back to court if I don't pay? So what? He'll be in the village by then. A few weeks later, Hunter replied with a rambling, confused letter in which he recounted a story about the last time he received such a letter, in which a friend of his informed him that he was gay and was going to New York City to be with his people. Hunter wrote that their friendship petered out after a few get-togethers, not because of Hunter's hostility to gays, but because they now had different interests and social circles. So he finished the letter with this. There's a naughty kind of intensity in your message that was exceeded only by its obscurity. So I figured I'd just strike out in the fog and see what came of it. None of my doctorates gave me the wisdom in areas like these. But I sense something heavier than just college in your mind, and I think I should know what it is. Tell me. I'd written him two long letters explaining how lonely and unhappy I was. And his reaction was to tell me I wasn't being clear and to state the real problem. (laughs) I'd asked my father, who in his previous letter had been so supportive and welcoming a communication for help or understanding, and, and now he was no help at all. In fact, his letter brought up uncomfortable questions. Did my father think I was gay? Was he saying that we would drift apart if I were? What, what was he trying to say? Did he understand me at all? Clearly, he could not help me. That first letter from Hunter was beautiful, wishful thinking. He wanted to believe we had that kind of relationship, as did I. We wanted to believe we could start over from that moment, and he could be the father he and I both wanted him to be. My letters to him exploded that illusion. And now I see he had no idea how to handle this kind of appeal from me. He could give practical advice. If I had asked him for help getting a job, getting a car, getting an interview for an article in the student paper, that he could have handled. But a cry of loneliness in the darkness, that he could not handle. Thank you. Before we open it up to the audience questions, um, we're going to just have a little interview here, and then we'll open it up to you guys. Get some of the questions done that are probably going to be asked anyway. So... Juan, it's a wonderful book. I loved it. My colleague loved it. I think it'll do really well. Did you always want to write? (sighs) 
Yes and no. Uh, I wanted to write, but I didn't really know what what I wanted to write about. Um, I tried, you know, short stories that didn't really seem like my thing. And what I realize now is that always in the background there was uh, there was the uh, you know writing in the shadow of honor and the, the comparison and uh, uh, just the idea of of doing anything in his his area which you know he'd excelled in was something i really shied away from and the book is um about your relationship with your dad i think a lot of people anybody with a dad has the ups and downs of a relationship and um so was that one of the goals of uh when you started writing this to sort of just share that relationship and highlight that as a theme you know, when I, after Hunter died, I felt really strongly that I wanted to uh, let people know that there was an, another side of of my dad besides the the image, uh, especially after he died, of this you know crazy Gonzo guy, uh, and that that's where I started. Uh, was I wanted to uh, to to show this side of him through talking about my experience of him growing up. Um, but then as, as I wrote the book and it, it took a long time, um, I really started to see that my experiences were not, were not so unique. Uh, you know, maybe some of the details, um, but that, that my experience of, trying to connect with my dad was not was not something unique to you know me and Hunter because he was famous this was a uh, a much more uh, uh, common malady you know um, I just I love your voice and the way you write uh, your writing style is very different from your father's are you finding people saying you know why don't you like write like your dad, or did you try not writing like your dad when when you've written this now? Uh, it was definitely on my mind that uh, I do not want to be compared uh, uh, to my dad in terms of writing style, and uh, I, I'm sure many people have have uh, either read or, God forbid, tried to write like Hunter, and it <laughs> never comes out well. Uh, so it was I, I was really clear that I'm. I am not going to in any way try to imitate him. And I'd say went to the other, not the other extreme, but but really focusing on just uh, uh, clarity, um, simplicity, uh, and avoiding, you know, uh, anything fancy with... uh, uh, we're trying to bring some sort of unique voice, you know, just just like like stick to the 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 classic rules of good writing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's wonderful. Um, one of my favorite parts of the book, and I'm not going to give too much away, is uh, your time spent with Jimmy Buffett on his sailboat. And um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that experience. Um, sure. Uh, I don't know how Hunter and Jimmy became friends, but this was back in the uh, like mid seventies and uh, Jimmy had, I think 
it had one one hit on the radio. So uh, it just come out with a uh, his album was doing you know pretty well, uh, uh, but he was he was nothing like the, the sort of phenomenon that he is today. Uh, so he was just this uh, uh, you know kind of easygoing. Uh, Really smart. Uh, he was actually like a journalism major in college before he started songwriting. Uh, and he and Hunter were friends, and uh, apparently one night they got to talking, and that was around the time my parents were going through their divorce. And uh, uh, Hunter suggested it uh, might be a good idea if I went sailing with him. Uh, Buffett was a big sailor, and he just uh, just gotten a new boat. So I was like 13. Um uh, you know, and uh, just Buffett said, "Hey, how do you feel about going sailing for a month in the Bahamas?" Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know, to me, he was uh, he was a captain, um, uh, and uh, spent a month just cruising from island to island. Uh, I remember the there was a a lot of a lot of pot was smoked in that boat. Uh, it's a very easy going crew, uh, and uh, it was a really big deal to me at the time because it was it was an escape from the the, the tension of of home at the time. Uh, but also, Buffett was like a uh, sort of a surrogate father there for a while, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I, I still just have such such good memories of uh, of that time. It had nothing to do with 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 uh, Buffett the singer. It was you know the person Buffett this you know uh, really decent, easygoing guy. Uh, taught me a lot about sailing, uh, and he could be both easygoing, but then in a crisis, uh, we had a couple of them. You know, he he knew exactly what he was doing. Tell you know, you do this, you do this, you do this, um, and it was a uh, it was a, it was a great experience. And then one more question before we open it up to the audience. And if you'll indulge us, I'm going to repeat your questions because we're doing a podcast. So um, when you ask it, I'll repeat it so that the podcast can hear it. Um, so the final question I had, uh, which some people might not know, is why did your parents choose to name you Juan F. Thompson? Yeah, um, it's a common one. <clears throat> that and. What was it like growing up with Hunter S. Thompson as a father? Yeah. <laughs> Read the book. <laughs> um, so, uh, first thing was that Hunter was a foreign correspondent for, or a, a freelance foreign correspondent. He spent a couple years uh, traveling around South America. Um, and uh, he really liked the name. It was actually uh, there was a Brazilian or a, a Portuguese version, uh, which I can't even pronounce. Um, but he settled on a, a compromise of uh, of Juan, and I think that was uh, uh, he just liked the sound of it. Uh, I think it was also a nod to uh, to, to John F. Kennedy, who was a, a hero of his. Um, the middle name Fitzgerald, and then Fitzgerald uh, uh, is a nod to. Both the writer, who was uh, he was a big fan, the uh, great Gatsby was a big influence on her, and uh, and then of course to JFK again, mm-hmm. 
And then I also think that it was uh, just the rhythm. Uh, uh, Hunter was really sensitive to the, 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 like the rhythm and the cadence uh, of his writing. And uh, I, I can just imagine, you know, as he was saying, you know, like Juan Fitzgerald Thompson. Yeah, that has a good rhythm to it. That, that's good. That's good. You know, you can't have too many syllables. You know, it couldn't be like, I don't know, uh, you know, uh, it, it had to flow. It had to sound right. Not like Gabriel or something. <laughs> Gabriel Fitzgerald Thompson. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't, doesn't flow. It doesn't flow. <laughs> um, so if you want to take questions, I'll just repeat them. Yeah, sure. One over there. Indeed. So the the uh, question yeah, yeah, yeah. is, um, the audience member asked if he's just reading a book by Mark Vonnegut, who's Kirk Vonnegut's son, and he asked if they drew parallels between father and son in their writing. Too. Unfortunately, I have not read that. Uh, is that a similar kind of book, a, a memoir? When Kurt Vonnegut did. Mark. Oh. Uh, and he mentions his father, but it's not um, a reflection of his father's, you know, his upbringing or anything, but it does, he does throw off jabs of the divorce that his father went through and uh, dealing with schizophrenia. Hmm. Sounds like a book I should uh, check out. <laughs> <laughs> and Kurt Vonnegut was a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, it just reminds me that Kurt Vonnegut wrote a, a, a review of uh, uh, Hunter's uh, Fear and Loathing on the Campaign Trail. Uh, and I came across that when I was going through Hunter's archives. And it's just this, uh, just this wonderful encapsulation of uh, – uh, it, it really uh, 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 focused on, on Hunter's uh, idealism, his political idealism and his disappointment. Uh, he, he called it uh, – the Hunter's Thompson disease. It, 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 it's, a, it, it's buried out there in the internet somewhere, but it, it, it's worth, uh, worth finding. Next. Hi. Hi. Welcome to the club. <laughs> He asked about siblings and where are you? Uh, I do not have siblings. Uh, my parents did uh, try to have several children, but they uh, miscarried, so it's just me. And I'm not quite sure what you mean by where are you. I'm one of six. Ah, uh-huh. I see. In the order. Just me. And then there was a lady in the back row. Yes. The question was, what do you think Hunter will think about the book? That's a great question. Uh, I think he would appreciate uh, that I was honest about about him, uh, and that it, I didn't try to to whitewash. Uh, his life and present him as a, you know, a great and wonderful guy. 
I think he would have been really disappointed if I had done that, even though that was actually my sort of initial impulse, you know, in that grief. Um, so I think he really would have appreciated the honesty. Now, an important caveat to that is he would appreciate the honesty after he's dead. <laughs> uh, and that's a really interesting thing to be writing a book. Uh, you have a lot more freedom as an author writing about someone who's dead um, than about people who are still alive. And then uh, I'm sure those of you who read the book, you'll you'll notice that there are sort of uh, elisions around uh, you know topics or people uh, because they're still living. And it's like I, that's not my story to tell. But it's uh, I think he would be happy that I wrote it. He'd appreciate the honesty. Um, I'm sure he'd have some quibbles about, you know, style or, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, mistakes or just, uh, you know, writing issues. But uh, as I was writing it, I was conscious of how would Hunter, how would he feel about this? You know, am I, am I, uh, am I doing something that he would be proud of? even though that wasn't my primary motivation was to write a book that he would be proud of it was a factor um i think i think he'd be i think he'd be very happy i think he would and i think he'd be very happy that i that i finished it because <laughs> uh, it's, it's it was a long haul it was much much harder than i thought it would be Yes. Uh, it's very clear you have your own very unique style and marvelous honesty uh, in what you recount. I would like to ask you, though, and I don't know if this is maybe not a fair question, <laughs> knowing your dad as you know your dad and yourself as you know yourself, what are the things, the traits that you may have in common? The, there are any. the question was, what traits do you have in common with your dad, if there are any? Yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a good question. Um, I think that, that idealism, uh, that, that belief in justice, uh, um, the, uh, it sounds kind of funny to be saying this, uh, you know, particularly right now. But uh, uh, you know, our, our, our shared uh, sort of fascination with with guns. You know, uh, not as not as not as weapons to be used against people, but just as as I mean, it's a lot of fun to be shooting a really powerful pistol. You know, at the hillside or something like that. It's just uh, it's a uh, after he died. It, did a, a lot of shooting. I called it gun therapy, and uh, uh, it, it's it's a cathartic uh, experience. Um, I think the uh, interest in politics, uh, though I think he was uh, he was a much he was much more aware of the uh, of the strategy and the tactics, and uh, much more cynical than I am. It's a good question, though. Yes. Where's I was about to say that you are rocking that mic. Way to go, honey. 
It's my wife. I'd like you to tell the story about Virginia's response when we were about to name our child. Because the name thing is deeper than just the rhythm. Yeah, uh, I don't think Virginia was too happy with with my name. Um, so Hunter grew up in, in, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, a very traditional uh, city in a traditional part of the country. And uh, his mother, uh, Virginia Thompson, uh, I got really close to in the last five or ten years of her life. And uh, when it came time, uh, when our, uh, we, our son was born, it was time to name him, uh, she was very clear that... Uh, uh, the only requirement is that the names come off of the Thompson family tree. And she sends a copy of this, and it goes back to like, God, like the, like, yeah, 15 or 1600s. Uh, and there are just crazy names like uh, 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 America, America Hook. Yeah. Um, uh, Semiranus Lawless. Uh, and, uh, uh, and lots of names they recognize from, you know, Hunter's family because they clearly these names came off the family tree, uh, and uh, we did choose to include uh, Hunter's name in, in 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 our son's name, but not because Virginia told us to, uh, but because it was a it was a a way to honor both our fathers, uh, but it was. Uh, I'm sure Virginia had the same reaction when, when he named me. It's like, where's Juan? Where's Fitzgerald? Nowhere. Nowhere on this family tree. <laughs> Breaking tradition again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but got to be in that family tree somewhere. Yeah. Yes. So the question is, um, when you were writing, what were the most challenging parts to writing, and then to talk about using the archive to form the history part of the book and um, so forth? There, uh, <clears throat> That's <sighs> All right, so st- starting with the archive, um, I was really clear when I started off that I was not going to write a biography. Uh, there are other other people who will do that someday who are much better at it. Uh, and I was really clear. I'm going to write a memoir based on my memories, right or wrong, um, and not get sucked into, well, all right, here's what I remember, but what really happened? 
Um, I'd say the archives actually had sort of the opposite effect. Uh, I spent about, I don't know, four or five months uh, going through uh, all of his all of his papers, and he he was a he was a pack rat of prodigious ability. Um, after he died, we packed up. I think there were seven hundred and seventy five boxes, uh, boxes or filing cabinets. Uh, it was a lot of. And it was just stuff. Um, so I spent about four or five months going going through uh, the archive and cataloging it. Uh, and I mean, sometimes it was, you know, it was it was uh, God, it was everything, you know, newspaper clippings, uh, bars of soap, um, uh, you know, uh, matchbooks. Uh, but then there are also things like uh, he kept a journal when he was in the Air Force, which is hard to imagine, Hunter in the Air Force. Uh, uh, you know, of just just his observations. It's like, wow, this is this is amazing. Uh, or uh, like a cocktail napkin, uh, where he scratched out some, you know, a, a description of some people uh, in the bar uh, that he might use in a, uh, you know, a, an, an article. Uh, but I'd say the effect was more to sort of uh, suck me into this uh, feeling, feeling really attached to Hunter through through all this stuff. You know, like 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 I could get to know him better if I just uh, could absorb all of this stuff. So when I started, I wasn't really too concerned about objectivity. Um, so, and so leading to your, your second question, why was it so hard? Uh, um, and as an author yourself, you'll know the, the foolishness of what I'm about to say next, but I thought, uh, you know, uh, I mean, how, how hard can writing a book be? <laughs> it's just a, like a really long essay, right? Uh, you know, uh, I, I can I can knock this thing out, uh, you know, in a year, right? I'll, I'll, I'll be done. Um, and uh, I did manage to get the first draft done in a year, um, just by sitting down. Just had a rule: all right, for like five days a week, I'm going to write a thousand words a day, and it could be, could be gibberish, you know, could be terrible, but it's got to be a thousand words or, you know, more. And then when I hit that, hit that, that thousand first word, I'm, I'm free, <laughs> free for the day. And it was really hard. Um, but what I found is that it was, it was, I did not want to come back and work on it. I don't know about you, but I did not look forward to sitting down and working on the book. Um, and I think that was, I think a lot of it was just me working through stuff, you know, not even consciously, uh, of how I felt about my dad and, uh, what to say, what not to say. Um, and I think it was really important that so much time elapsed, um, because over time, you know, the grief ebbed. And uh, I didn't feel, 
it was as important to to celebrate him um, and not that not that I was going to you know it's like all right now i 'm going to you know get my revenge and he 's dead, so he can 't do anything about it um, but i felt I felt it was more important to be um, just to, to be honest about about you know about the 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 good experiences and the you know and, and the negative experiences because the idea was to give as honest a portrayal as I could, um, and so over over years and I started this in two thousand six um, so it took nine years to finish this thing, uh, and there were long breaks where I just wouldn't work on it for three or four months at a time. And then I'd, you know, my editor would say, so, how's that book coming? <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, okay, i got to work on it now. Uh, I just became more, uh, it, it, it was more important to me to, to, uh, to step back. And, and all I can say is it's not even objectivity. It's just, just, just being honest and... Uh, I didn't feel I, I didn't so much feel the need that I had to uh, convey present him in a certain way. Uh, it was more important just to say, "All right, here's here's who he was." You know, the good and the bad. Does that answer your question? Yes. After writing the book, um, do you think you're different, and do you have a different attitude towards your dad after writing the book? That is a really good question, and uh, yes, yes. Um, you know, and one of the things that that really struck me, like in the last year or so, was uh, that I didn't feel, uh, it wasn't, so important to me to 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 have a connection to him through his possessions. Um, now there are really only like there's a a handful of things that are really important to me, like, like you know this this medallion. Um, but it kind of felt like over those nine years and and all of that that thought and process, you know. It, unconscious processing and rewriting that I I kind of took him in to myself and I I didn't I didn't need that stuff to feel like I was connected to him anymore um, and I also think um well, sort of the same line of Francine's question is uh, that um, I didn't feel the same need to to you know hide his his blemishes, uh, but also as I, I I really hope that the book portrays is that uh, uh, I really loved him, you know, and um, and that. By the end of that thirty-year process, we we had gotten to a really good place. But to your you know to your question, um, 
writing the book was a was definitely a a a further step. You know, I thought we were in a good place, and we were. But there was still, as I worked through those uh, through that process, uh, uh, yeah, I I took him in. I guess does that does that make sense? Yes. If you ran into your father today, how not, not, knowing, not, knowing, not knowing each other? Oh, not knowing each other. How would you meet, and would you be friends? Uh, I would say the odds of our meeting would be very small. <laughs> uh, it's because uh, we are such different people. Uh, and the you know the world that he lived in and the things he liked to do are so different from what I do. So I just don't think I ever would have you know, ever ever bumped into. Him. I mean, what like where you know <laughs> in a bar, you know, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, maybe at the uh, you know at the shooting range, um, but uh, I would say. Uh, even if we bumped into each other, uh, I would have probably looked at him. I would have seen him with, uh, you know, some some trepidation and some. Uh, it's like this is this is this is a dangerous guy, <laughs> and he looks kind of crazy. And I think I'll I think I'll stay away from him. <laughs> That's an interesting question, though. You know, but uh, you know that uh, uh, there's uh, when he's your father, though. There's no escape. Got to got to deal with it. <laughs> Fortunately. Thank you. That's a good question. Other questions? No, safely. Would you share what your father's medallion means to you? Well, that's a good question. No one's asked that one. Uh, this medallion was given to him by. Uh, uh, a uh, uh, Oscar Acosta, who was a uh, Chicano lawyer in the, uh, in the '60s, and uh, really a force to be reckoned with in his own right. Uh, he was uh, he was every every inch, you know, Hunter's equal uh, in just intelligence and personal power and craziness uh, and idealism. Uh, and he gave this to Hunter, and that was a that was a that's a big deal. Uh, it was a real sign of uh, respect from Oscar Hunter, and and Hunter recognized that. And and, and uh, there are so many so many pictures, uh, you know, over twenty thirty years, uh, where this is what he's wearing. Um, so to me, it is it is the sort of purest. It's a talisman. It's like this is this is this was something that was very very important to my father, uh, and uh, you know his energy is in it. Uh, and so when I wear it, I wear it when I'm. It sounds kind of funny, but like invoking his presence. You know, uh, 
I don't wear it as jewelry. It's a, it, it's a talisman. Yes. Yeah. So the question was, um, you refer to your father as Hunter most of the time and not as father. Is there a reason for that? Um, I wish I had some good reason like that, but uh, uh, I've always referred to my parents as Hunter and Sandy, and I don't know why. Uh, It just never even occurred to me to call them, you know, mom and dad. Uh, I don't know if, if... I can only imagine that that's what they, you know, that's that's what they taught me to do. Uh, and so later I realized, well, that is kind of odd. Everyone else, everyone else doesn't, you know, they don't call their their parents by their their, their first names. Um, uh, but it never felt right, you know, even when we were much further along in a relationship to call him dad. Although I gave it a shot in the letter, you know. It's like... <laughs> Didn't help though. <laughs> yes. Uh, obviously, having Hunter as a dad was a mixed bag. What do you think the greatest gift he gave you? What do you think the greatest gift that you gave him? Having Hunter as a father was a mixed bag. And what do you think the greatest gift he gave you was? And what do you think the greatest gift you gave him was? Wow, that's a. That's a good Uh, I'll start with, I think the greatest gift that I gave him was forgiveness. Uh, When he knew that I had forgiven him and uh, that I was, that I was proud of him as my father, I think that, I think that was uh, a tremendous weight off of him. Um, the greatest gift he gave me now what comes to mind is uh, boy I don't know if it's the uh, maybe the maybe the, the the idealism you know the uh, 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 not to not to give up on the idea of this is right, no matter how impossible or unrealistic uh, or hopeless it seems. Uh, you know, don't 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 give up on that idea that there is there is a you know there is a right, there is a good, uh, and uh, uh, don't don't give up on that, and don't stop expecting that of whether it's your leaders or you know, other people you're with. Hey. Uh, 
And the question was, uh, is there anything in your book that might challenge um, the Hunter S. Thompson icon for his League, league of Fans? All right, so his fans uh, sort of fall in two groups, right? They're the people who, who mostly are his fans because he was wild and crazy and drank a lot and did a lot of drugs. Uh, and then there are his fans who uh, are just crazy about his writing. Um, I think the... I think the the the, the people who who see him as the you know the sort of ultimate party animal, um, I think they might be kind of disappointed to see uh, how it turned out. You know that fifty years of drinking heavily every day is going to catch up with you eventually, uh, and that uh, you know it wasn't just you know fun and games to the end. Um, I think the people who admire him mostly, you know, primarily for his writing, uh, I think they might feel some sadness, you know, or sympathy, and, and maybe some disgust at some of the, you know, the ways he behaved. But uh, I don't think that they'd find something in there that would that would disillusion them. Uh, that's a that's an interesting question, though. I, I haven't thought about that. Now, I, what I'm actually most concerned about is, uh, you know, friends or uh, associates who, you know, really take issue with something I've said, or like maybe uh, I've written something that was just totally wrong, you know, and they'll say that that what you know all that stuff you wrote that never happened, it didn't happen that way. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't happened yet, but you know, it certainly could. Probably one more question. Brad. Yeah. What was your favorite prank or gag that you and your father had going between the two of you? What was your favorite prank or gag that you and your father had going between you? Between us. Or just an individual incident. Because I always remember that there was always a lot of doing those kinds of things at football. Um, well, my, my favorite one was uh, uh, when I was, uh, I think, 16, he went to uh, Hawaii to uh, to write about the Honolulu Marathon and that turned into the Curse of Lono. So he spent a lot of time down there and uh, he flew me down for, for Christmas one year. And uh, he had bought these like these huge rolls of firecrackers, like a 5,000, you know, tiny firecrackers in this huge uh, wheel. Uh, and he was telling me you know, one night how, oh God, it was Stedman. Yes, so, so Ralph Stedman had come down, uh, you know, to illustrate the article. And uh, uh, one night Hunter thought it'd be funny to set this thing off in his bedroom at 3 in the morning. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. He, he, not everyone shared a sense of humor. <laughs> uh, so he set this thing, you know, so he lit it off. And, you know, I mean, and you can imagine how long 5,000 firecrackers takes. It's not like, you know, it'd be like, like endless, just be like an endless explosion. Um, not to mention the, you know, like two inches of little tiny shreds of red paper. <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, so he told me about this, and he was very proud of himself. And it took Ralph a long time to forgive him for that. Uh, so a few days, uh, a few days later, you know, it, so he had more of these firecrackers, and I was, you know, playing with them. And uh, a few days later, we were at uh, at, at a restaurant uh, along the the coast. It was in the Big Island in Kona, and uh, I had taken a in my pocket I had a firecracker and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, secretly pulled the fuse uh, out of the firecracker and attached it to the outside of the firecracker. Um, and then, uh, at an opportune moment, I lit the fire. You know, lit the fuse and then threw it to Hunter. I said, "Here." Catch and it landed in his lap, <laughs> and of course he didn't know that you know that the, the fuse wasn't going to set it off. So he was like, "Oh Jesus Christ! God damn it!" You know, <laughs> and then he realized it was, you know, it was it was a uh, a joke. Uh, uh, and in the book I write about this, I, uh, he didn't think it was that funny. <laughs> And uh, he was much better at playing jokes than uh, than having jokes played on him. <laughs> we should probably sign some books. So, thank you so much. Thank you very, very much. That's all for tonight's author on tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.